this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's going on, my fellow reef therapist, Mark Vanderwall? How you been? Man, I've been good. I've been, uh, had a good vacation. Any vacation where you get to see a lot of uh, your, your, you know, reefing, reef life, reef invertebrates and fish and friends, under, underwater friends is always a good trip, right? So, Unless you live on a tropical reef, and I'm not talking Florida, I'm talking about, yeah. you know, something that's really luscious. Every time I'm in the water, my, my brain is spinning of, of like how the reef environment or the marine environment is reflecting on my aquariums. And so you must have had just all kinds of triggers or, you know, just kind of things kind of going off in your, in your, in your brain while you were in Hawaii, correct? Yeah, the same stuff I thought last year, you know, so I, I, I wouldn't say I had like a brand new epiphany. I did enjoy photographing just the f- chunkiness of the fish because it's like it's all your favorite aquarium fish swimming around except they're like three inches wide, four inches wide. The, like you, you know, hover that's... over them and you're like, that's like the sumo wrestling version of a naso tank swimming below me. You know, like it's just this bulky, huge, you know, so you you realize like your perception of what a naso tang is from the aquarium hobby is so off base right this skinny little swing swimming around so we we know that our corals are a lot smaller than what is naturally found in the wild but we don't really there's not as much conversation it's like we're not miniaturizing them we're just getting them small and we're growing them much slower than they would in the wild the only tank that i ever saw that really had like wild type size fish was Joey Aulo's tank. He had um, just a lot of really interesting, unusual surgeon fish, and they were like 24, 30 inches, and they were like 6 inches thick. And then yeah. I've seen the nasos, you know, in Hawaii, they're like 4 inches thick, and, you know, in the aquarium hobby, like, every butterfly fish is just a dainty little thing, and then you see them in the wild, and oh you're my like, God, yeah. you're like, that butterfly fish could feed like three people. Yeah. <laughs> That's how big they are. I mean, I, I, I have made a scavenger hunt for myself to film with my little GoPro every type of butterfly that I could find, right? And, uh, like, teardrop butterflies. I love those guys, right? They're freaking huge. <laughs> They're just Did you like, see any blue line uh, butterfly fish? Because that's a Hawaiian endemic that's just no, really unique. I did not. Um, I saw raccoons. I saw arugas. I saw... God, what's the yellow one with the two brownish-black spots? And a mm, uh, through its eye. I mean, they all have a band through their eyes. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, they're like uh, almost falcula. like a mustardy yellow, and then they have like a shaded back, but then they have some distinct large spots. Raccoon. No, not a raccoon. Uliotensis. Yeah. I have That's to a double up. saddle. But yeah, no, it's yeah, cool that it's, you w- you did the, the scavenger hunt in uh, Hawaii, and I was kind of surprised when you sent me a picture of a kind of a scribbled threadfin butterfly fish, Ketodon auriga. And um, when, when you were underwater, what are some things that you were thinking about 
about your reef tank besides what we talked about last time? <laughs> um, did we talk just about current last time? I don't know. You just whatever you were thinking when you were in Hawaii. Well, it's funny because the time of year that we go, you really got to, you know, you get your little snorkel report in the morning from one of the snorkel shops. And I don't... Snorkel report. I don't, snorkel report. Yeah, I would have loved to have gone scuba diving, but just we're, we're there as a family with small kids. And, and we said, you know what, let's hold off on scuba diving until the kids are old enough to join us. Um, so it's been mostly snorkeling. And uh, I did not patron it, or I did not uh, give any money to a particular snorkel shop that hates our industry. But yeah. there's another one that's really good about every morning, 8.30 in the morning, they'll put a report in your inbox like, where is it? Where's a good spot? Where's a it bad spot? It is kind of funny how different uh, stakeholders who exploit the same resources um, will throw the other one under the bus and claim that they're just like free from sin. You yeah. know, and this is a, kind of across the board. Um, but yeah, we don't want, we want to get into politics. We no, really, no. Um, we've got a really cool topic for you guys today. And you know what's funny is like we've done so many sessions of retherapy now that I see so much like overlap with things that we've said. And I feel like if this conversation if you've really like watched or listened to reef therapy every session twice like you would get most of this but it's nice to kind of rehash it in, in from a different angle and uh, we're going to be talking about how to save money with your reef um but before that um i man i got a few things going on i just got this dope 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 book this is a, a book in french from french polynesia Oh, nice. Um, uh, guide Morea. to the Identification of uh, Corals of Morea. And this is really significant. Um, first of all, like it's a real treat because when I was in New Caledonia, I was diving with this uh, lady, Pauline, who knew enough about corals that I was impressed. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, and we connected on social after the fact. And then I re realized that she had created a book <laughs> for like a big major nonprofit or, or NGO in French Polynesia about the you know the corals of uh, Morea which is the capital of uh, French Polynesia but what's funny is like I'm in New Caledonia and I met this French woman who did this book from French Polynesia who sent it to me from New Zealand <laughs> and it's just like the number of countries that have to come together and what's what's significant about that is like this would not at all appeal to aquarists but to like a coral junkie like myself, this is the far edge, the far limit of where a lot of these corals um, come from, right? And what's funny is like there's very little LPS. Then it's something that you see in the Central Pacific and the South Pacific, as the water just gets cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, it's far away from the epicenters of like the Indo-Pacific where there's a lot of scolemias or there's a lot of trachophilias and cinerinas and lobophilias. So I think like Acanthastria canata, maybe a little bit of lobophilia is like the last fleshy coral standing when you get all the way out to Morea. Um, but this was published in 2014, making it like relatively recent and still, and so it's the, you know, she uses Dipsastria uh, for some species of uh, Favia and then Phymastria for certain species of Montastria. And then apparently there's this one species of Parietes. I don't know if you've ever seen it in Corals of the World or noticed it. There's this one species that was called Parietes napopora that has this weird like reticulating surface and it's clearly 
Parides adjacent the way that some Ganyaporas are. And, but in here, it's elevated to, to the level of genus. So it's Napapora something, something. <laughs> I forget what it is. But what's cool is, um, so she was the first author, Pauline um, Bosserel. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup, Pauline, for sending this over. But the last guy, the last author, the last two authors are Cardin Wallace. Cardin Wallace is like the big boss of uh, staghorn corals. Right? So um, she's much lesser known than Varen in, in our world. Charlie Varen is kind of like the godfather of stony corals. But within that greater umbrella, Cardin Wallace is a woman from Western Australia who is the godmother of staghorn corals. And what's funny is when you look at some of Varen's publications and her publications regarding acros, they don't necessarily line up. Which is funny because then um, Vincent and I will be like, well, according to Varen, well, according to Wallace, yada, yada, yada. And it's funny because we have to have that extra level, extra layer of conversation to understand which page that we're on together, you know. And so my granulosa is his Caroliniana and vice versa, right, based on the, on the images and the guides that we're going to. But then the last author is Michel Pichon. And Pichonai is one of the coolest, Acapora Pichonai is one of the coolest um, deep water style acros from central Indonesia that is kind of flat plating, but like still branching. So imagine like a deep water F-low that whose branches still kind of break up. Very, very, he's, he's got one of the coolest ever Acapora species named after him. And it's one of the few that I do not have in my collection because uh, they're very subtle in their coloration. So this is a really cool book to the other uh, to the collection from the author. Nice. Yeah, that was really fun. And I just, uh, just got back from Aquashella in Chicago and that was so much fun, man. That was so much there fun. Were you know, two I, shows this past weekend, right? Wasn't there uh, Palooza as well? Yeah. The only one I know about is the one in Chicago because that's where I went and there was a lot of people. Yeah, And it's funny because, like, I'm a reef guy, right? And I show up and uh, some of the organizers are like, oh, there's only, like, 15 to 20 coral vendors. And I, like, stop real sternly and I look them in the face. I'm like, if I want to look at corals, I'm going to stay home. <laughs> you know, I'm going to stay home and look at my corals. I'm here to see the entire wide world of the aquarium hobby and rub elbows with the freshwater folks. There was a guy there with like some special strains of axolotls, another place that had plants, another place that had driftwood. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a really fun time. And it's just getting outside of your element and, um, you know, starting a, a little bit of drama by having the debate that I, that's why I was there to have a debate with John Hudson of KG Tropicals of, uh, you know, fresh versus saltwater. And that, that was pretty fun. I got a lot of people thinking. Well, you did a video like that too. I remember with um, he was he was my collaborator. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, that so video. He did, he did the video on why he thinks freshwater is better. I did my video on why I think saltwater is better, and um, I have a lot of respect, you know, for those freshwater content creators. But I did approach a lot of them, like I was trying to meet them and trying to talk freshwater at a saltwater level. Do you well, understand? No, I, yeah, I was. Um like I have an observation about some of those YouTube channels that I don't want to come out as negative, but it, you've got like a group that they just, they have their basement full of aquariums and they have an interesting collection of fish. 
but they don't they're not like nerding out per se you know like you've got uh what's the guy's name that's sort of known in the rainbow fish circles and gary lang yes thank you gary lang he he nerds out on rainbow fish i think the way he nerds out on rainbow fish at what i would describe as a saltwater aquarium level and there's a couple of african cichlid guys that will be like gary lang has been to the studio and has enjoyed beers in front of my rainbow fish tank you've met him Nice. I know him. He's nice. been to the studio and has drunk beer with me in the studio in from my rainbow fish tank and vice versa. I was traveling across the country and going through St. Louis and I went, you know, through and checked out his fish room and I allowed him to like nerdgasm at me about every single rainbow fish in his collection and i had to take a break it was one hour it was like <laughs> half the fish room another hour was the other half fish room but what's cool with gary is um a lot of overlap right because i go to papua new guinea i go to west papua and we go to the same island but then i go outwards into the he ocean and in. he goes inland to yeah. find the rainbow fish and it was a few copies of Amazonas ago that they described one of these excursions and um, so there's a lot of commonality there but yeah Gary like yeah he he nerds out and and, and this is kind of what I was going to get at when I was talking to these famous freshwater guys they seem to be I don't want to get too much trouble here but they're very much jack of all trades yes but not as much master of even one thing right so something about the freshwater aquarium hobby you're either into quarries or you're into lower carids or you're even like into like the small placos of the large placos or you're into monster fish or you're into discus or you're into angelfish and on and on and on and so you have to go down one of those rabbit holes to really be into it because you can't i don't know there's a certain it's, it's, I don't know. It's not parallel. If you're in the reef aquarium hobby, you're into just about everything, at least relative to the freshwater guys. And yeah, it was just, it was kind of interesting to talk to them and, and talk to them about like some of the oddball plants that I keep, freshwater plants, some of the oddball fish that I keep, especially like, you know, L173 placos. And I just kept falling on deaf ears and it was kind of a bummer. So I came back and I called Sumer, who's my local aquarium buddy. And he's, I mean, you know, he's into discus, angelfish, placos, betas, dwarf cichlids. Um, and it was just like really refreshing to get back to my, to my freshwater, like therapist, you know? Um, but no, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, like Aqua Shella in Chicago was really fun time. You know, what's funny is a, Oh my God. Like, I'm not trying to make this a thing. Right. But there was a company there that had a couple like actual micromooses and they kept calling them Favios. And I'm just, you know what? I'm not going to let it go this time <laughs> and ask them like, how much is the micromooses? Like, Oh, well, those are Favios. We bought them as Favios. Like, do you think that Mr. Third world who lives on a tropical Island knows more about corals than you do just because it was shipped as a micro as a Favia, you're gonna, like, no, this is a, this is a, this is a micromusa, like classic micromusa. You remember when those things had their moment, like early mid two thousands, everybody was collecting micromusas, you know, they're, and, um, I finally convinced him that it was a micromusa and he told somebody else in his booth and you know what his response was? His response was, yeah, I know. That's an Acan Micromusa. <laughs> well, getting and closer. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. There is, you know, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to get my reef beef out uh, real quick. 
you can't say that at, at the beta booth. You can't call a beta embellus a beta smaragdina, right? You can't do that at the flowerhorn booth. You can't do that at the placo booth. You can't do that at the African cichlid booth. You can't do that at the planted aquarium booth. So all these different disciplines of freshwater, they might be a little bit, you know, they might have, um, you know, kind of like blinders on as far as like just looking forward in, into their own pool of knowledge and interest. But you can't just just squish names together and, ex- and, and, and expect people to be like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. That works. Favia, Favites, Micromusa, whatever. I'm just like, how can you be a coral collector and not have a basic grasp of the coral genera? I'm not asking you to drill down into all the different species. We're not trying to do that. But when you see a very conical coral-like um, favid coral that just happens to be jade green with purple mouths you better damn well know that that is a diploastria and that is not some ramid, random favia or favites like diploastria looks the same all day every day you want to sell me a coral for a hundred dollars you better know what it is well it's funny you know like we all have our guilty youtube pleasures and it's just i love watching hobby videos about hobbies that i'm not really even participating in sometimes and i know that sounds kind of crazy but i watch so many reptile channels dude it's not even funny yeah or uh you recently told me about watching koi uh youtube right about koi farmers yes. and all that um i i i sometimes go on a terrestrial plant kick because i love to just it's almost like is it the word ASMR? It's almost just like putting on golf, like on the TV, and I don't watch golf, but it's just a relaxing something. Sometimes I'll just throw on some videos of a couple of YouTube channels of people that are really into um, houseplants. And then they get into this long-winded discussion, and the Latin names are going out left and right out of each mouth, and I have no idea what they're talking about. Right, I don't know these genuses or species of plants. I have no idea. Like It's going way over my head. But I absolutely love that they're, that's how they're talking about these plants, right? And I always sit there and go like, ah, oh, you know. I just have to crap on the houseplant people for a second. Oh, boy. Because. I, I, lit, I lit a fuse. <laughs> no, no. But I got really, really, like I always had a few trees, a few nice pots at the yeah. studio. Because before I set up tanks, I was like, oh, I can just get pots of, you know, plants and start breaking up, you know, all the echoes and all the sounds. And so I started with some, you know, a few trees, you know, a fiddly fig, um, Diffenbachia, um, a few different types of rubber plants and some Monstera, um, Norfolk, Norfolk Island Pine. And then during the pandemic, I got really into it, you know, a lot of the a anthuriums, lot of a lot of Monstera species, um, a lot of different things. And um, it's funny because I had like, at one point I had like 60 pots, 70 pots. And that's how I was counting because it was like a lot to water. So I've, it's funny, I've, I've boiled it down to only like 40 pots, which is still fine, but I have a better grasp on, on what they need. But I... I, I I consumed a lot of their content, and I got really annoyed real fast. Because you know what houseplants need? They need moderate indirect light with well-draining soil. Every single one. <laughs> there was no drilling down, and I think everybody was just kind of uh, going through the motions and appealing to their audience, and no one really knew what they were talking about. Well, right. it, a lot it blew of them, up during COVID, right? A lot of people got into rare houseplants during COVID, apparently. 
and you can and again there's those youtube channels similar to some of the freshwater channels where they're just sort of generalists and they, the tanks are there to build issue. content right but there's a few out there issue. i forget the summer rains or whatever her name is uh something rains like she's really good i enjoyed her videos some of them they, they deep dive um, and then, you know, you get into people that are like the people that are into cactuses, right? And succulents. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't you go there. The cactus people, they are legit. Those are like Those reefers. Those are awesome people. The bonsai yeah. people, they're like reefers. Yeah. All the generalist houseplant folks, they're more, they're they're underneath, like, as far as intensity, they're underneath, like, the freshwater aquarius folks. They're, they're um, a little more Taylor, like fashion uh, um, statement type. Ta- was it Taylor Rain Oaks? Is that her name? That's Summer her Rain name. Oaks. Summer Rain yeah, Oaks. Yeah, She would give a little bit more information, but I don't know. A lot of times I felt like she was just kind of reading the tag. But it was it was better content. But she um, would, like, she visited, like, a hardcore bonsai guy, and then she would visit, like, a guy. Like, it, I, I enjoyed some of the... She would visit some veteran people and really, you know, highlight what those people are doing. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. It's sort of like a tank tour, right, on, in yeah. the reef keeping world. So, I, um, watched, I watched all the channels. I watched all the channels for a long time. And it got to the point where I could just basically predict what they were going to say. <laughs> but I definitely, I'm going to shout out, uh, you know, our cactus brethren and our bonsai peers. They are not part of the houseplant community. Those guys go at it a totally different way. And I have learned a lot from them. <laughs> yeah. There, it's, um, but, you know, I enjoy, I do enjoy just some of that approach. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to dog the freshwater channels that, you know, those specific channels that are more generalist. Because honestly, like, if you told me tomorrow I can only keep freshwater for the rest of my life, that's how I would end up, right? I'd have a discus tank. I'd have an African cichlid tank. I would be all over the place because I enjoy all of it, right? And I would probably be all, all I chasing guess I it was, in every direction. I was looking more for a saltwater level freshwater aquarist who's a general, a general specific. <laughs> a specific generalist, you know, who's really into a lot of different groups. Cause I've been into them for, since I was really young and I never quit. And, um, but no, I had a really fun time. But what's funny is like, I spent about one micromusta, like actual micromusta, not from the company that's trying to convince me they were obvious from uh, tank it easy. I'm not going to send it to me so Thanks you guys. Um, because it was nice. It was nice to buy a colony of something, right? There was a time where you couldn't get a frag of Micromusa for like less than $100 with good varied colors, right? This was a colony because no one's paying attention. And that's going to lead up very well into what we're talking about. And then, um, but what I bought the most was Placo Caves. <laughs> a bunch of, oh, a yeah. bunch of Placo Caves. Because right now I'm looking at my, uh, one of my two Placo tanks that has you know, fancy Placos in it. And uh, my main tank that had a bunch of zebra placos, um, one day, like over one or two nights, um, one of the females got harassed to the point where I don't know who did it. I don't know who done it, but they shredded her back end, you know, from a black and white, you know, peppermint looking you know, banner to a flesh toothpick. Yeah. It was no tail. There was no adipose fin. 
So I moved her. She was fine, you know, the first half of her, and I thought she was just. So I moved her to the kind of a holding tank in the new that's connected to the new aquarium. And I promise you guys, we're gonna get to the reef stuff. Just, just bear with me. <laughs> just therapeutifying all over the place. I put her in the um, this kind of isolation tank uh, where she could, things could be calm and she could eat algae by herself. And this is zebra placo. And uh, I think she was down there. I don't know, two months, maybe three months. And then I moved her into the main display after you know realized that her fins had grown fine. They'd grown back fine. And it was when I got back from Aquashella, I was looking in this tank that has a couple of L236, a couple L46, and a couple L173s. And these are fancy black and white scribbled pico varieties. Her fins grew back nicer than any of the the tail fins of any of the placos in the tank where they're everybody's fine. So not only does she regrow her tail, she has like this pennant streamer thing going on. And I'm like, what the hell? I have placos in both tanks. The only difference between the new tank and the old tank is the old tank gets a lot of big water changes. It's very pure water. They all have water flow. The other tank gets fed more, right? And I'm just looking at this tank like, how the hell is every placos fin in here? super long and super streamy and super pennant, including the female who got ground down to a raw toothpick. Her tail should not have grown back, right? Like, it should have been way too much damage for her tail to grow back. She could have remained a breeder, but instead she grew out a tail nicer than any zebra pleco in my collection. I'm like... What the? What is going on here? This is crazy. I want to send ICP uh, tests or samples for ICP testing on my freshwater tanks. I'm like, what is going on here? Is there one secret ingredient between these two tanks? Um, but yeah, no, I think this, this, this preamble about the freshwater stuff is really um, pertinent because it applies to a lot of the stuff we want to discuss about how to save money on your reef aquarium. And I mean, some of the stuff applies to aquariums overall. So some of this applies to hobbies overall. Um, first of all, how did you like, before we really get into it, how'd you like listening to reef therapy for once? Oh, it was great. I really enjoyed uh, your conversation with uh, Than. I always want to say yeah. Tan, but that's, you know, that's just habit. Um, was that available before you flew back? No, unfortunately. Uh, which would have been awesome for the plane to download it. Um, but, um, no, I, I enjoyed his perspective of having gone down the road of the greenhouse in a time and era of reef keeping where we all fantasized about it. The halide AC pump, high it's energy so days where harnessing the sun seemed like this dream, you know, of like, oh, if I could just harness the sun and tropicorium style and all that. And he went there uh, back in the Reef Central days and then came out of it and was like, okay, my tanks have to be human friendly, you know, have to be easy for me as a human and the people I employ to maintain them. And then just the whole, once the advent of LEDs and, and energy efficient DC pumps came around, it's like, look, it actually makes sense to have a more controlled internal environment to do this. And so I really enjoyed that, that that talk um and yeah I what's mean, funny if i can interrupt yeah, you just briefly is i think you got more from the conversation than i did because i was in it right so i'm just trying to keep it going and ask the next question and ask the next question so you were able to absorb more so i'm like remembering the stuff we talked about as you're mentioning it well and um, i am a compulsive 
overthinker, right? And what I appreciated was um, how he thought three steps ahead on a lot of his design principles, like the closed loop, but then have a drip tray so that when you disconnect the closed loop to go service it, you don't care. Like, you're not like, oh, what about the floor, you know? Um, just little things where it's like, well, you know, where you ask yourself the next 10 questions from your idea so that you account for all of those contingencies. And, and the human centric aspect of how he um, designed a lot of that stuff was really impressive. Yeah. I'm going to have to. The thing that is, like, I'm, you know. Keith does what he does, you know, as far as like um, kind of uh, really getting as much from people as he can, usually in like an hour, 15, hour and a half. Man, I just want to tell the entire story start to finish. And I feel like it was an hour and a half of like the background before we really got into the corals. And as soon as like, well, after two hours, you know, I can't ask him to just like do like we did three hour, three and a half hours on protein skimmers. Quick aside, if you guys like hearing that much about one topic please rate us on your favorite podcatcher please subscribe please give us a thumbs up or something but definitely rate us on your favorite podcatcher because i don't know anyone else who could put together a three and a half hour marathon <laughs> on one particular topic we killed it we took a break but same thing with um with uh, than you know we took a break at the one hour mark and then when the second section was done i was just thinking to myself Damn it! I want, there's so many more questions I had for him about the coral side of things, right? But now that we get that out of the way, um, you know, I'll see him again and I'll meet up with him and uh, I'll re-listen to the first one to remember all the questions I didn't get around to asking. Yeah, and I, on top of all of that overthinking, uh, thinking three steps ahead, I guess not overthinking, but what I also appreciated is, you know us old old school reefers right the 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 ones that came from the era of diy and have seen the fads come and go him being one of them it's funny how you know some of that old get off my lawn came out of him as well right like there are things he doesn't overthink right uh chasing numbers um you know that kind of stuff i mean like you ask some questions about uh carbon dioxide ph and that's when you like okay he's one of us <laughs> you know <laughs> uh so so i enjoyed that it was nice to be able to be a listener because you know just like every other reef keeper i'm looking for content to to tune into and so it was nice to have an episode you know because i don't want to listen to myself i hate the way i i talk and sound right <laughs> so um yeah i enjoyed it yeah, no, that was, that was really cool. I want to thank Than for carving out some time to come to the Rebuilder studio. He was here. He was present. He didn't f drive by. He gave me a day and a half of his attention and his presence, and we got to you know really chat about reefs and corals. I will say I think he was a little bit overwhelmed by what he saw, and I think that's more... It's not that I have more volume or more corals than him. It's just all of my stuff is put together in such a way to be presentable right whereas if i was a coral farmer everything would look smaller everything would be smaller there'd be multiples of everything you know a lot of the tanks would be broader and shallower you know and it's just nice to be able to put together something like this which i believe is is unique in the world and he was one of the things he said is like man i can't believe how many freshwater tanks you have it's not that many to me i only have eight you know 
compared to like 20 saltwater aquariums um but yeah, no, that was a really cool experience, and uh, you know, the, the the visits through the studio are, are, are few, but we really make it worth it. So, you know, Than uh, joins the likes of Tim Kelly and Steve Weist uh, and uh, Steve Visser of coming through the studio, and um, you know, really talking about their side of things. That was really cool. Thank you, Than, if you're listening. Yeah, you got to keep doing those, man. When you have those guests, force them to sit down for an hour. And- <laughs> It's not about a force, you know. Like, if they come through and there's time, yeah, you know I'm going to fire it up. I'm going to try. But I'm not trying to do a a three-and-a-half-hour marathon on protein skimmers again. Um, But let's talk about some of the ways that you can save money on a reef tank. I think some of these are going to be so obvious. I'm trying to – I tried to go into this not with – because, I mean, I've heard this – I've heard this topic before, right? And so there's always the usual things people say, and some of the no-brainers. I was trying to avoid the no-brainers or at least we throw a different you. lens on it. That's um, what therapy is about, you know? If you're in a toxic relationship, you know, leave your man or whatever. Like, you just need to be reminded of those things. And so <laughs> I think even yeah. the, I think the low-hanging fruit still applies. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, we've put out so many sessions, so we're like 55, let's call it about, we probably have about, a, even though we have 55 sessions, it's probably about 100 hours worth of listening. That's all, nuts, man. All, all put together. And so what I'm seeing is a lot of overlap and a lot of... Um, I don't want to call it backtracking, but just dovetailing with things that we've talked about before. And so I think a great... I think this is going to be a thing now. Now that we have 50 sessions behind us, um, I'm going to recommend some sessions from before. And so definitely you want to review, you know, if you want to follow up to this particular session or if you're new to the podcast or the YouTube channel, you definitely want to review the session we have um, just a few episodes ago about like the epidemic of stuff that won't break your tank, right? We're trying to talk schmack without talking shit. <laughs> that's literally because I'm just like, oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's being sold that's not really pulling its weight. But then also our session on not overdoing it. So I think there's going to be a lot of echoes from those particular sessions that will reverberate with you know someone who's trying to start up a reef tank or build you know upsize a reef tank without like breaking the bank because when people tell me that reef tanks are too expensive i disagree i think it's never been cheaper to set up a reef tank but everything out in the world is telling you how to buy a bugatti everything's trying to tell you how to buy that you know bmw 7 series you know what i mean yeah i mean and i'm hugely skeptical of a lot of content that i watch because of it you know uh pick your favorite hobby other than aquariums it's it it happens in every hobby that i am passionate about and i go on youtube and i look at instagram pictures related to that particular hobby and it's all geared to get you to buy more shit. Buy, buy, buy. And I hate you it. You know, I, I go on Instagram only to check my messages now. I cannot scroll. I can't do it. I can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, won't do it. I just know it's a bunch of noise and someone's hyping up some, some, some thing that they've used for like 
20 minutes and they've been reefing for two months <laughs> and they've been keeping aquariums for like a year and a half but they know because they have so many followers oh man whenever um, a new product drops right you see it across the board. Then you right. open up your YouTube, and every YouTube personality is talking about it, and they have it, and they've had it for weeks, but they had to keep their mouth shut, and they've been running it, and this is what they think. And it just happened with the uh, guitars this week. Like a uh, big guitar company dropped a new series of guitars, and the way I found out was I op- not because of an email or I went to their website, because I went on YouTube, and it was like, Oh, here are all the guitar celebrities of YouTube, and they're all holding it, and they're like, <laughs> you know, and you're going, oh, okay, they must have released something new. And One thing I, I do appreciate is I think a lot of us have are starting to mature within this space, and you can see through that. Some of us, yeah. right? Some of us can see through that. You're like, I've been following tech news since, like, Engadget was the top website, and then it was The Verge. So, I mean, that has been kind of my guiding light for how I should be a content producer. And, yeah, you know, I've seen it over and over and over. 9to5Mac, Gizmodo, uh, Marquez, MKBHD, and The Verge. They're all the same day. They're dropping this, and then they're dropping that, and then they're dropping this, and then they're dropping that. And so, you know, I think as consumers, as first-world consumers exposed to a lot of this media, we are becoming the wiser. But... This, this this session of reef therapy is probably geared to someone who's looking to upgrade, who's maybe or buy their first tank, who who just you know falls into the uh, the ecosystem of reef aquarium world, and um, they need a little bit of the vaccine, and a little bit of vaccination, a little bit of booster shots against all the hype, and um, you know I'm not afraid to say that I'm part of that. Uh, machine but i try if you actually read to the end or watch to the end or listen carefully i feel you'll you know you'll find um uh, more salient points um like, like you will find on on reef build on reef therapy um i i want to i want to start this off man uh, i think i think it. the best way to save money is um uh, buy the right product the first time that's yeah. i just want to say that again buy the right thing the first time it's really easy to be in a store and a really enthusiastic salesperson tells you, oh, this is the best, this is the best, this is the best. I've been using it for years. I use it on this, I use it on that, I use it on this. But ask them to show them your reef tank, their reef tank. Ask them to show you their reef tank. But Because if they have a lot of excuses for why they don't have one at home or why they take care of the one at the store, you know, if they have a several displays around the store using the same product a few different times, all right, that, that might be a good backup. But even that, I mean, this applies to freshwater. This applies fully to freshwater, man. I remember when I first got to aquariums within the first six months, 80% of the stuff I had bought was not as good as I'd, I would have liked. And I had so much junk. Yeah. So many underpowered corner filters, air pumps, underground filters, this juice, that sauce, this additive. And so buying the right product the first time and buying it once it can be nerve-wracking to to do a little bit of that research and kind of dig through it. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Aziz Ansari joke who was like, oh, I need a new toothbrush. Well, let me go online and like research the best toothbrush. And what is the best rated toothbrush on Amazon? And he's like, when you go to the dentist, it's not about buying the right toothbrush. It's just the fact that you brushed your teeth in the first place, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so you don't have to get like... Uh, just totally obsessed about buying the right gear in the first place. 
but I think just a little bit of effort will help narrow down the product you need for your tank the most. Yeah, and it doesn't mean, because it could be easily transformed into the argument, you know, buy the expensive thing instead of buying the cheap thing three times, right? There's some truth to that, right? The cry once versus cry many, but um, really, it doesn't have to be the most expensive thing either. It just it it really means just buying a well-researched product that has a good following. You know, that's really where it's at. Um, there are plenty of pumps and lights that are not considered premium that people have really good long-term experiences with. And so it's just a matter of finding those um, those kind of affordable options that have a good track record and also are enough, right? We've talked about lighting, that people will buy $900 lights and then run them at 20 to 30% intensity. And what's crazy And then to they'll me, upgrade them at like two to three years. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> they'll buy the top of the line Bugatti. Uh, Drive it the, 20 the, miles an hour. The Koenig Zag. <laughs> yeah. And do 100 miles on the track, never take it out on the road, right? And then they'll upgrade after like two years. That's an extreme example. But and I feel like a lot of this stuff, we're not trying to treat you like you're dumb. We're just trying to put stuff back into your head of like, buy the right thing. But also, I mean, I have this like several times. Buy the right thing. Buy stuff that's the right size for your tank. Buy used, right? So now I'm going to say, buy stuff that is appropriately sized for your reef tank. We know so many people who, who buy stuff for their first aquarium or their first home plants, or their first whatever hobby, with the thought in mind that they're gonna be really into it and they're gonna buy, then the stuff they're buying is gonna be future-proofing for the larger aquarium. Sometimes that's what's gonna get you in trouble, right? That's what's gonna get you in trouble. So buy the stuff that's appropriately sized for your aquarium. Yeah, but like, and, the, uh, like taking lighting, for example, um, again, the, tr the trouble with saving money is and being a beginner is that you don't have all of the the, the little um, you know tidbits of knowledge that help kind of pave the path for you yet um, but you know a power meter is a very expensive thing right if your reef club has one you can borrow whatever great but it's amazing that when you start to really deep dive and I know you don't measure a lot of power anymore, but like if you deep dive, like what kind of light I need to keep these type of corals happy, whether you're into SPS, whether you're into LPS, and then you really start to think, okay, like based on these re quantitative requirements, what kind of light do I need? In my opinion, like a lot of the affordable light options are these days plenty fine, right? For that application. So it's like, don't buy the Bugatti, right? Don't buy, um, I mean, like uh, these Chinese LED bars. I'm pretty sure that if you challenged me, I could buy some of those on Alibaba and grow to the hell out of some SPS with them, you know, throw like three or four over a tank. So it's, it's just a matter of, you know, helping yourself not get convinced by all that hype we talked about to buy something you don't really need like buy what what is appropriate for your tank like you said that is plenty for what you're doing now if you're gearhead and you're going to look at your tank and be unhappy because you don't have brand x 
then just realize that's you, right? That's your head. That's not your corals looking at you like, you didn't buy me, you know, an ecotech? Dude, you know, like, you know, it's, it's uh, your corals aren't uh, brand whores, right? So, anyway. I don't know if that's what you where you were going at, but that's where I, I feel. No, I'm, I'm attacking this from several different angles, and All I right. want to make it very clear that I'm well aware that I'm part of the machine that promotes the latest and greatest. But it's usually my hope that someone with some discernment is going to buy the appropriate light or pump or device or aquarium for their setup that is going to last them a long time. I am not, uh, you know, I read about every single accessory that's ever been made for freshwater aquarium, bonsai, koi, whatever, just everything is like slightly related to race. So I'm part of that machine. And I want you to know, for me, I'm really trying to educate the user on what would best be useful for their tank. And if you just see the headlines and the pictures or read the first couple paragraphs, that's where the hype is at. Right when you get into the, the to the body of the article, right? I don't write more than a thousand words. You can you know chew through that over like half a cup of coffee. That's where you know uh, the more of the reality sets in. And then the last few paragraphs, you know, that's where the other shoe drops, where the price comes into play and the actual performance of the device. Um, but no, I'm attacking this from multiple different angles. I just put out a couple videos of my Peninsula reef tanks. Both of them are set up super simple. The same lights for four years, same pumps for four years, same return pumps for four years. They both have a calc, re calc reactor, a decent protein skimmer, and dosing pump. There's no controller. There's no CO2 scrubber. There's no algae scrubber. There's no refugium. It's it's weird when you see this you know reasonably sized sump and there's just a lot of open space. Right? There's a lot of open space. And so it's funny because there was like one comment that really stuck with me. I was like, oh, I think you took some products off of this tank because if that's all it took to take a, to do a reef tank, then all these high-end reefers wouldn't have automatic water testers. They wouldn't have automatic water changes. They wouldn't have a controller. They wouldn't have this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, those guys don't have great-looking reef tanks, first of all. <laughs> you know, when you when you get really into the bells and toys and whistles, um, that distracts you from the fundamentals of reef keeping. And you've been reefing for a long time. You can handle three tanks and controllers and have some bells and whistles. But someone who's a little bit new and has a very steep learning curve, they're not going to be able to do all that. You no, know? I think and it adds... It's too much of a distraction, and I, you know, it's now like you. You always joke about if I had a refugium, now I got to take care of a refugium, right? Uh, and I have that same mental argument about automated testers and um, CO2 scrubbers, and it's like, oh well, now I've got to maintain that. And if you throw that at somebody that's trying to still master the skill of keeping corals long term, you're, you know, it's like you're trying to teach them how to cook, but operate all these other devices in the kitchen. And it's just a massive distraction, like focus on the task at hand. And I mean, I've brought this video up a million times, but Ollie, right? Uh, his video that you made of his tanks, you know, a 10 pump, years apart. Yeah, a pump, a skimmer, a heater apart. and lights and some flow pumps and you're done. It's 95% of the battle right there. Yeah. 
right? And so this is what I'm trying to say. If you buy something that's perfectly sized for your tank, if you go back to our, our session about not overdoing it, it's like quasi impossible to underdo it. The corals adapt. And there's a really important point that I'm gonna get to about patience and waiting because I feel like a lot of what people are paying for is simply because they think it's gonna speed things up. And that's not, you know, it's kind of like a normal, that's a human thing, right? We don't live forever, right? So it's, it's very human nature to try to pay to skip the line, right? To speed things up. And you and I, we have corals we've had for dozens of years. Like, we're totally fine. Just put it together, slap it together, pH 7.9. We'd never test the water. We do a water change three, four times a year. And we look at it a year later and just like, damn, there's too much coral in there. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, buy stuff that is appropriately sized. I want to say that for a third time because you see people always just shooting over. The one device that is good to oversize, I believe, is your return pump and your flow pumps because they will just operate so much better at 80% or less. Oh, uh, if they're DC pumps that you can power down, you mean? Like, yeah, slow down? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because, you know, when a pump is designed to run at zero, 100%, the manufacturer's probably factored in, you know, like pushing it to 120% if they could, and 100% is just going to be like the maximum uh, tolerable level of wear. And when you back that off to like 60 to 70 to 80 percent oh my goodness your your longevity your durability is just going to shoot through the roof it's going to multiply by like two or three so that's the one thing to to overshoot is, is not your dosing pumps your flow pumps and your return pumps push those you know a, a one size up and then you know dial them back because they'll be quieter and they'll be cooler and they will last a little bit longer um you have another point that you wanted to bring up i think there's gonna be a lot of overlap with this and you know yeah. i actually asked evan cameraman evan to put together his own list and it was like really long i think he's a lot more price conscious than i am so as soon as i'm done with my list i'm gonna go through his list and we're gonna see um some of the things that we forgot no i mean i had i'll, I'll go through the ones that overlap with some of the things you said one is um you know keep it simple right uh you know don't let the, I guess, reef keeping celebrities influence you to make extraneous purchases if your goal is to save money. Um, and like I said about lights, I think lights are easily overdone because I think lights are built to a level of horsepower that is often overkill for a lot of people. Um, I think the Amen, thing that... Amen, brother. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... One that tells you that, you know, because it's like, oh, after this many hours, the power of LED diminishes. And, you know, part of me would say then, good, <laughs> you know, that means that that when the, G, you know, G6 comes out and there's a guy selling G4s used on the Internet, you know, which I was going to say used gear is great uh, way to save money. Um, those lights have a lot of life left in them. And uh, that's an affordable way to get like a quality piece of gear from a company that has good support. I mean, yeah, the warranty is going to be gone on that thing. But, you know, companies like that, if you have questions or you need a part, you can order it. Um, they're, they're, they're in it for the long haul, right? Um, so the best companies. The, the, the best companies are here for yeah. Uh, decades. Yeah, it's companies like that see you as a potential future 
loyal Upgrade. person, yeah. right? They see it as an investment of their time. So, um, scaling down, and I don't mean just the size of your tank, like pick the appropriate tank size to your budget, but um, let's say you're financially shrewd enough to say, I have an annual reef keeping budget. I'm going to break that up into 12 months, whatever. Spending all of that budget on one tank will make for a much nicer tank than when you start to spread that money thin across three or four or five tanks, right? And we see that a lot too, where people... In America, this yeah. is one of the most prominent things I can say of the difference between European and American tanks or reefers. In Europe, they're going to have one tank. They're going to have one really nice tank. They're going to have one tank so nice that I remember it, that I'll feature it, that I'll do a video. I'll stop what I'm doing and do a video of their tank for a couple hours, you know. And in America, it's just like more, 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 but it's not necessarily better. And it's just like having 17 kids. You can't take care of all those kids the same way. But that's a great point. Yeah, and I, I ironically broke this cardinal rule for myself because... When I built my la my most recent uh, 180, um, I told my wife, I want to go into this like with all the equipment that I like to run. And if a $300 pump dies, I don't want to lose sleep over just ordering a new one, right? Just like, okay, I'll just get a new one. And, and when you have one tank, I mean, everybody's budget and income is different. So I'm not trying to compare myself to, or have you compare yourself to me. But knowing what my reef keeping budget was and knowing where, you know, like, hey, I'm going to put a little money aside for when shit breaks. I just wanted to be in a point where it's like I can just say, OK, I'm going to order what I need to order and not stress about it. And then I went and set up another tank in the basement. <laughs> and but I already started to feel like, oh, well, now I got to fill up two tanks with corals. Right. And you start to see it stretch out and you start to have to make like decisions or do I buy this or do I buy that? And um, it's something that I was sort of mad at myself and like when this topic came up because I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, I've observed myself doing that on occasion, you know, having to... On the flip side, not if you're a beginner, yeah. not if you're just starting your journey, but if you're a little bit more seasoned like Mark and myself, it actually can be beneficial to have like two or three reef tanks because you work on this tank, you make the changes, and you let it roll while you go and work on this other tank. And it can have a little bit of that seesaw where, okay, this tank's getting attention and that tank's getting attention. But that's that's when you've really cut your teeth. But I'm, I'm trying to stay like f more focused on yeah. saving money, you know? Um, so I just want don't want to denigrate like having a multiple tanks when you've really been at it for a long time. But yeah, dude, buying used there are so many people that get into this stuff for like less than a year. Yeah. And unless they bought bargain basement, Amazon, Fish Street, AliExpress equipment, if someone is selling you stuff um, uh, online, a lot, I mean, most of the time, it's someone who, you know, got into it for, uh, you know, half a year, one or two years, that equipment's really, really good. It's Especially the tank. I mean, where I'm at right now in my reef aquarium, you know, career, my aquarium career, I would almost never buy a new tank. 
I just, especially the aquarium, that is one of the most expensive things. You want to save some money on setting up a new reef tank? Just look around, man. Just log into a handful of your local aquarium groups every single day. I'm talking myself out of picking up a free aquarium from one of the many different aquarium groups that i'm in especially freshwater right because it holds freshwater the same as it does saltwater and if you want like a jumbo aquarium i'm not saying they're always going to be free right but if you want a jumbo aquarium like uh look at the monster fish groups monster freshwater fish groups you would dude i think there's like enough for like free to secondhand to just bargain basement deals on really good aquariums um every single day in most areas maybe drive a little bit you know but definitely you can that is the most by far the most expensive thing usually you will you will buy for your aquarium unless you're decking it out with a ton of like high-end reef lights um but the aquariums there are so many opportunities to get really cheap really decent reef tanks you know 55 75 90s when you get to a hundred you know gallon plus then people you know usually want a little bit of money but you'd be surprised how much you can get for free on local freshwater groups and you know maybe someone's giving away a scratched up 40 breeder you can easily use that for a sump yeah like, i have a written a good down quality sump because diy is obviously a money saver and one area that can be a huge money saver is your sump because sumps yeah. don't have to be as complicated as the ones that you buy are, right? You all you need is a is potentially a weir that keeps the water level stable for your skimmer, right? It's like it's a less of a hassle if your skimmer is in a compartment. That's it. I mean, that's all I really. Worry I have. About. Hold on, let me count them up real quick. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sumps. Four of them are used for breeder tanks. I have two 40 breeders of sumps. I have 120 long as a sump, and I have 160 breeders of sump. So I can ask for any sump from anyone, any day. All the bells and whistles, all the, the tricks and features, uh, half of my sumps are just regular old class aquariums that are probably clearer and more scratch resistant and more flexible than an off the shelf sump that you could get from like a company. I love like I love skipping from like the tanks to the sump because it's it's a gradient right it's just the same and one of my other sumps is literally just like an acrylic box that I painted the entire outside white just so you you know light wouldn't like kind of come out of it because that's where I keep my clams but uh, yeah like, so five of my sumps are just open boxes just open boxes that is <laughs> that is one area where you can save like eighty percent off the sticker price dude don't get me wrong man. A fancy, like, turbo, all bells and whistles sump with built-in this and that sounds really, really freaking cool until you want to make one single little change. You are paying such a premium to have a probe holder built in. I mean, this is things we've said before. You're paying such a premium to have a line holder built in. A dosing line bill. You're paying such a premium to have a, a heater holder built in. And, dude, 40 breeder, 60 breeder, 20 long, 30 gallons, those are always going to be my jam. I don't care how rich I get, ever. Like, I'm not there, right? But I'm always going to be like, oh, yeah, 40 breeder, 20 long, 60 breeder, those are my jam. Because I can, I can modify them 
how I want on the fly at any given time. You know, yeah, there's a reason I don't have a sump on my 400 gallon tank, and it's because I'm just like so paralyzed by choice that I decided to just go with a 60 breeder. Right? Well, and, and I, I, have I think like if a, you come from the generation of DIY reef keeping, um, and you've made some mistakes along the way, which you know that's those are sometimes costly, but you, I think most of us that DIY sumps for a long time see the mass produced sumps differently, like one. I have I massive see them as a beef. handicap. Yeah. I see them as a handicap because every partition is locked in. It's glued in. I can't do anything unless I start demolition. Well, I don't like, for example, the, the, the customization factor um, is huge with me. I don't like running filter socks. That eliminates like 80% of the mass produced sumps. I hate when the return chump, uh, return, return pump chamber is so freaking small that your float valve or your float switch that triggers your dosing pump to top off runs like every 10 minutes you know i mean when well, i well that's a you problem I know, because you, you use like an automatic top off device and i just have to say it for the 37th time on this session you, on, on reef therapy that a gravity float valve costs one 20th or one-tenth the price of a gravity of an auto top-off machine so your machine goes off all the time but my float valve can go off all the time i don't hear anything yeah well uh, anyway my, that's a new problem my <laughs> auto top-off has to move water against gravity 20 feet up into the air so uh, i don't have a choice other than making putting an uh an unsightly ro reservoir on the same floor which i have no desire to do i would do it i would do it to your house i would come over to your house and i would show you how to ninja that into your current house i would get a tall trash can and hide it in the back of your daughter's closet and then route it through the walls as needed to get it to the sump and it would be an automatic top off for your top off reservoir and then you would never have that problem again <laughs> that would be so much work when no I it would not it would be so much faster than you think no it would be it would be like a couple hours it'd be so easy that said <laughs> um Whenever I DIY'd sumps, I always made the return pump chamber big, you know, so that the, the, the water level wouldn't drop very quickly, right? Uh, and that would mean more of a salinity change, but in the grand schemes of a sump against like a 180-gallon oh, no, You're talking tank. about fractions of parts yeah, per thousand. Yeah. That's not even a thing. And, you know, your, your dosing pump would run or your auto top-off pump would run longer, but it would be less frequent. And I would trade for that any day of the week. I'm surprised there's not an auto top-off device that just says, hey, why don't we just turn on at night when you're not paying attention? I we'll can turn off. do that. We'll I can on program once. the Apex to only listen to that float switch at night, basically. Um, my concern with that... Uh, well, Because then you'll never know when it's running. You like that noise. You like that sound. You hear yeah. it because then you have engagement and you're it's like, oh, like, it's running. It's working. Yeah, it's, we're the, good. it's the confirmation that we're good kind of thing. And um, yeah, I, there's some other reasons I don't want to do it. But yeah, um, I, you know, here's a weird one. But uh, um, I, I'm always surprised because this always comes up in an argument. Um, and then I feel like they're missing half the argument when they say what they say. But when you pick any additive, and I'm a two-part guy, I love my two-part, um, not all two-parts, and this would be true of if you like to dose iodine or you like to dose whatever, 
not all additives are the are this equal in concentration and yet a lot of times Ooh, their price tags are very similar right that's a great point you could be looking at a you know half gallon of this and a half gallon of that you don't really know what that concentration is they they go out of their way not to tell you on the bottle until you dose it and test it and measure it yourself that's a really good point because i was thinking you know liquid versus dry but if you're just looking at the liquids you're right they're not the same I've, I've run into this with iodine dosing and then really big on two-part. Um, there's a website called Reef Deist or Deist, um, and there's dosing calculators there. And it's great because you can say, hey, my alkalinity on my 150-gallon tank dropped by 1 dKH. How much of any of the products on the market would I have to add to restore that 1 dKH, right? And so you can, like, select... ESV, you can, uh, you know, and then it's amazing the amount of milliliters difference you would have to dose between the different vendor products. And to me, that was a real eye opener because I love ESV, but I switched to um, uh, Brightwell. And I think Brightwell is like, God, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's like five or seven X more concentrated. I'm getting that wrong. Now I got to look this up. But but then you no, look that's at that's a really good point. I was make I was going to make the obvious point of dry versus liquid. You mix it yourself versus the liquid. But you know, some folks uh, they just want to dose stuff. They don't want to sit there and uh, you know be a chemistry um, lab technician. No, but, but I yes, mean, uh, for sure, the difference between you know Red Sea, Triton, Brightwell, ESV those those are good brand names that you can take to the bank. But even then. There's a lot of range between, you know, 150,000 parts per million and 50,000 parts per million just in the, you know, concentrated um, additive. Well, like take uh, and, and, and the, the point I'm trying to make here is a gallon of ESV, for example, and I don't mean to pick on them because that's a great product, but a gallon of ESV and a gallon of Brightwell on Amazon is about the same price, right, from a budget perspective. But uh, if I want to raise the DKH in my tank one DKH, I have to add 72 mLs of ESV Bionic. And if I use Brightwell, I have to add... Okay, that's a bad example. Am I getting this right? Um, which one was I using? It was, it was a massive difference. And I was, I was sitting there going like okay, you know, why don't I just switch brands and now I, I don't have to, A, refill my container as much, and two, I don't have to um, spend as much money per year on it. Okay, before we get this question in the comments, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcatcher, after you rate us, go to the YouTube channel and then put in your comments. But I know that people are going to ask, what um, kind of website comparer are you on? It's reef. Diecist, D-I-E-S-I-S-T dot com. Okay, well, you're going to put that in the comments when we're done with this video because people are going to ask and I'll pin it to the comments because they're going to want to know. But yeah, that's a really awesome point and that's why we need more than one host to uh, come up with all these ideas um, is, yeah, one person's liquid to liquid is not apples to oranges. All right, so... Not that anyone cares, but just as an example, to raise the DKH in my tank with ESV, is I have to add, uh, by one DKH, I have to add 289 mLs of ESV. That's a lot. I only have to add 67 mLs of Brightwell. So if per gallon they cost the same, 
or similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be a few bucks off here and there, right? Again, I don't. We're not saying they're exactly the same, right? They're not like ESV is well known for incorporating a lot of trace elements that you need, and Bob Stark might have his reasons for making it a little bit more dilute, a little bit more um, easier to add to your aquarium that he's been doing for a long time. Um, but yeah, that's a great. No, point. yeah, there's the definitely lig- arguments about things falling out of solution more easily at a more concentrated rate, right? Um, I think that uh, you might have more of an ionic imbalance with more concentrated solutions potentially, right? Uh, over time, I don't know. I'm, it's just something that I've run into where somebody's like, oh, I switched to a calcium reactor because two parts so expensive, and they cite the example of how much they spend in a year. I'm like, well, okay, but what if you switch products, right? Yeah. Um, I believe yeah, no, Red absolutely. Sea is also very concentrated, right? It's another example. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Anyway. Um, that, that's a good point you know also like you can save money setting up a calcium reactor and dissolving your own stuff it's gonna be you're gonna feel the investment on the front end but then on the back end when things are dialed really well and you're really growing stony corals let's talk about stony corals like stony corals with skeletons because i am i am beyond like flabbergasted seeing you know really normal typical reef tanks with just some lps and shrooms and zoanthids and soft corals with automatic dosing like what the hell are you doing bro what are you doing you know, okay, you know, same thing with Kalkwasser. Nothing is cheaper than lime water when you do it properly. And, you know, I have a lot of reefers who've been asking me my thoughts on Kalkwasser, you know, usage. Or what do I think about it? I'm like, I never stopped. That was the first, like, major breakthrough for me in the late 90s. I never stopped using Kalkwasser. Because you have people, like, revisiting Kalkwasser. And I'm like, yeah, that's always been, like, the standard on my aquarium. I have Kalkwasser about the same as I have a protein skimmer. But I don't have Kalkwasser on my low-energy reef tank, like the Fat Cube. I don't have Kalkwasser on my LPS aquarium that has the lowest mineral demands possible. You know, I have Kalkwasser on the tanks that have a lot of fast-growing SPS corals. So a lot of the stuff with, like, if, you have, if you're if you really into, you know, zoanthids and shrooms and soft corals, maybe a handful of chalice, bro, you barely even have to worry about it. Yeah. You don't even have to worry about it. You're going to do a water change once in a while, and that's going to bring you up to speed, and maybe you'll spike the alkalinity a little bit, and then you're done. And then you're done. You, you don't have to do uh, build every reef the same way for every kind of coral, right? And that's a really good point you brought up about the different concentrations of, of uh, pre-mixed uh, additives. Because I was going to make the comparison between dry and, and pre-mixed. And um, yours is actually less obvious. So thank you for bringing that one up. And uh, I, one thing I'd like to buy is... Um, to bring up is um, going back to buying used stuff is you know I made the the case that tanks there always is like a tank that's close to the size that you want maybe not in the highest clarity glass maybe not in the exact dimensions but dang if you can't find something that's you know 80% of what you're looking for for like 30 to 40 percent of the price when it comes to aquariums but also when it comes to equipment you know think about this like you know the person who's using the iphone 9 or 10 or 11 they're still getting their phone calls through they're still taking great photographs with that and i would really behoove anyone who's looking to get into reefing who's who's price conscious 
to buy mid-grade stuff, to buy used high-end stuff, you know, used the, the brand name, but also buy previous stuff, previous gen stuff, right when it goes in clearance. You know, perfect example is this year, uh, Kutik Marine launched the Radeon G6. Yeah. Radeon G5 is still in an excellent light. Go ahead and just grab it brand new, 15% off. You're going to get your warranty and everything. But the, I feel like there's definitely like opposites, right? You have one group of reefers who are always going for like the super top end. And another group of reefers who are really price conscious and are so proud of how little they spent. I promise you, if you buy the cheapest stuff, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. You know, down the road, the cheapest black box LED lights are going to lose intensity in, a, in a two to three years, and you won't even notice. The cheapest, you know, water pumps are literally going to lose magneti magnetization within a couple three years because they use terrible magnet materials. And I've had some people push back, tell me, look, oh, how does it use magnetization? I'm like, how does it gain magnetization? None of this stuff is magnetized to start. It becomes magnetized on an industrial process, and it can lose magnetization through heat, right? So anyway, what I'm trying to get at is don't buy necessarily the brand newest stuff right when it comes out. Don't buy the, the, the lowest end stuff that you can find on Fish Street or Amazon or AliExpress. Aim in the middle aim in the middle for previous gen brand name stuff or lightly used you know mid-grade stuff that's going to get you the the best um mileage across the board we're talking lights pumps dosers and skimmers then going back to the skimmers it, it's you know i could start another business i could start a whole business picking up used protein skimmers and putting new pumps on them because fundamentally, very little has changed in protein skimmer designs from the Euro Reefs to today. And every one of these old protein skimmer bodies are just as good at holding water and having their cups removed as they were before. Slap a new pump on there and you're good to go. I would love it if a company was just like, came up with a you know, really clever name for, you know, uh, second chance protein skimmers. You would have no reservations Take getting a, an old Royal exclusive Vertex oh, yeah. ATB and buying a new pump on it, right? Buy the old body, 100 to 200 bucks, depending on the size, and then put a really good pump, a whole really good brand new pump on it. It's going to be the same exact performance. Okay, it's going to have some scratches and some core line, you know, stain on it, but you're good to go. That, especially true one. of the Vertex when they, when they went out of business or disappeared or whatever the backstory there is. You s I saw a lot of Vertexes for sale used, and, you know, I think the owner selling it, well, I, I shouldn't speak for those people, but I, I wonder if a lot of them were selling because they were like, well, I'm not going to get support on this product if the pump dies, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to sell it while I can and then replace it. But then you sit there and you think, well, okay, um, if I can pick that up on the cheap and throw, like, a DC-powered pump on it... Um, that would be, you know, I, that's a nice body with nice build quality. Um, but when it comes to equipment too, it's again being educated and doing your research, like we said in um, in um, the beginning, or at least I was um, talking about it a bit much. Um, there are cheap things that are really built well if you look for them, and then there are things that are in this hobby 
and this has been going on since I first got into this hobby as a kid, there's a lot of stuff that gets rebranded as premium and isn't. And um, there are a lot of people out there kind of doing the research on that and, and exposing some of that, which I'm happy to see. Um, but, you know, you got to be careful about that, too, is um, I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that you see probably the most popular light in the hobby is probably the Radeon, um, right? Or um, I think AI and Kessel would be a close second there in terms of, you know, if, if I present you with a tank, you had to bet what lights on it, you know, there's, there's usually it's one of those three. That speaks volume to their quality, I think, right? Um, and the fact that you see somebody replacing a G4, a G5 with a G6, and they're sticking with the brand is a good sign of a good product. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see things in this hobby get rebranded as well, which I don't really care for. Um, and, and so you think you're buying something premium, but it's not. Um, and likewise, I mean, I, I've said in the past, I like uh, Bubble Maga skimmers. Um, the, the cheap no-name pumps they come with have tended to be reliable for me, but then you also have uh, spin-offs of Bubble Magus where they put a CTA pump in there and uh, now you got like a really good skimmer with a really good pump and it's really affordable, right? And a lot of times it's like a half the cost kind of thing where that skimmer may cost you three, $400, but it's in the performance area of a competitor's seven or $800 skimmer. So, so I think you also like, again, doing your research, getting on the forums and and just having some acute observations, you can find stuff that's cheap but good, and you can also sort of see the the, sh- the wolf in sheep's clothing, where it's um, stuff that's branded premium and is like, uh, no, this is some stuff from China that they slapped it. At, you know, there's not enough off. conversation about the middle of the road products. Yeah, there just isn't. It's either top of the line or bargain basement. Yeah, and we, we've seen this for years. And I almost feel like DIY could be its own session of reef therapy topic. There's just so much I can you can you know do yourself, um, and that might be a topic of conversation for the future. Let us know in the comments if that's something you would like to see us explore, because the reef aquarium hobby in particular really used to be characterized by a whole lot more do it yourself you know it's pretty easy to talk about uh you know setting up your own sump but man we used to build a lot of this stuff ourselves and i think all of us are collectively getting smart enough and clever enough to build our own dosing pumps to build our own protein skimmers you know how many protein skimmer designs have you come up with mark in back in your in your heyday you know i, I must have made like 12 or 15 half of them were terrible arguably were terrible and you know what i miss i mean it's it's not that it's not there and you you can go to alibaba or ebay or whatever you can buy all kinds of parts and acrylic and led drivers right but there used to be a market for the diy crowd right so you could get like okay i don't want to buy the entire light fixture i would buy the 
the parabolic reflector and I'll buy the PFO ballast and I'll build my own canopy. Almost no one bought the whole fixture. We bought the ballast, we bought the socket, we bought the light, we bought the reflector and we put it together ourselves. That that was was a time definitely like a little bit more golden aging of the reef aquarium hobby. Part of the hobby was getting into woodworking and like learning how to build a box, right? (laughs) (laughs) A saltwater resistant box, you know, with mitered edges and stuff. But um But yeah, I mean you sort of see that now. Like I love these sump kits that you can buy, right? So oh, yeah. You buy a 40 breeder and you buy the sump kit and you say, okay, I'm gonna take the filter sock holder and throw it in the trash. But these dividers are, you know, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I love that there is stuff like that. But I just felt like there was a bigger uh, rapid LEDs to cater to the DIY LED crowd. And I, you never hear about people building their own LED light fixtures anymore. And now that we're kind of gone full circle for, hey, you know, spread out LEDs, panel type lighting, right? To simulate T5, like, oh, crap, why aren't we if building you want these the things ourselves? LED light with spread out spectrum and stuff, DIY would do better than anything available in the market, right? Because you got you got to consider... These companies are, are interested in moving their SKUs in like units of ten thousands, right? Tens of thousands. And when you move product at that level, you are also concerned about the size of the box, which means you're concerned about how many you can fit into a shipping container, right? So you're really aiming to consolidate the size of the fixture, like a castle, like a Ritzy, like an Aquamination, like a, um, a Radion, right? So if you wanted the absolute best uh spread out you know diffused led light fixture diy would just run circles around it you know one great example is the lani led light that has gone like through so many different iterations in germany and then now like the world exclusive version of that same exact light basically and it's like it's like two thousand dollars for a hundred watt mic you're like what are you smoking man they must have some great like weed crack over there in Germany <laughs> and Switzerland. Like, what are you doing with like terrible control uh, setups? Um, so that's one place where DIY um, and, and I mean really has listen, place. I you know I'm not going to DIY and program a cloud uh, enabled app on my phone to control those lights, right? But that's all just gooey gravy for us to enjoy. We don't need that to grow corals, right? Dawn and dusk was. I turned the blue lights on first and I turned the blue lights off last, right? Yeah, we had two options. Yeah. Blue light, daylight, right? So you could take that a little bit further easily. You could do it dimmer. Yeah. And and I think we're getting into some of Evan's topics is like you could have three power supplies, four power supplies, put those each on a Maras plug to just turn on and off. And then you have like four channel color control. You might, you know, need to do a little more programming to do the dimming side of things. But then you have four color, you know, on off control, right? Um, but uh, you well, know, and just to close that one out, it's like how much different is these some of these LED panels that are passively cooled from somebody getting solderless LED pucks and getting, let's say, they got a four foot tank and they get a four foot LED heat sink and they spread a bunch of LEDs out across it in terms of you know, beyond the app stuff and the, oh, I can make it thunder and get cloudy and beyond that, like how much, 
How much are you? How much do your corals really care? Yeah. The answer is not at all. It's all for us. It's all for the human side of things, you know. Right. And um, you know, I have a couple of points that I'm not sure how poignant they are, but like, you know, we talked about stuff that won't break your tank, like phytoplankton and coral food. And I'm like, all right, you want coral food? Um, wipe your tank off more often. Right, you see people's tanks that they, they don't really wipe down the glass. Some of them never wipe off the glass, and they're just like, "Oh, I have to turn off the flow so I can look down the top because I don't want to clean the glass." All right, well, you know, just coral food is not going to make a break what you're trying to do unless you're Jamie Craig's and you're trying to spawn corals. You know, no, we didn't feed our corals for the longest time. We used the freely available foods. And those are some of the add-on sales that are just really easy to help um, pad the numbers at the local fish store. They're not really going to translate into hardcore differences in your aquarium. By all means, if you're having a, you know, a romantic moment with your corals, you want to target feed them, enjoy that part. But just, you know, realize that you're not going to fundamentally change the outcome of the health and vigor of your corals, right? And so, like, I've gotten into uh, wiping down the glass of my two peninsula tanks three to four times a week for fun because there's so much glass to the corals. I can wipe down the glass more. And I'm like, oh, here's free food, free phytoplankton from just from wiping down the glass, you know? When you have, this is one of those things I do not skip on. When you have a really good matching magnet for the thickness of your glass with the proper scraper, and I know you're going to mention that paint scraper blade that you love to bring out, but every chance yeah, again. but I, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I when you have the right recommendation back. <laughs> okay, well, tell us in a second. Yeah. But when you have the right algae magnet combination on your aquarium, cleaning the glass is so easy, so simple. And boom, there's your free live phytoplankton. So I would argue, it's funny because in a previous you know, session, I talked about how like I'm not really feeding my corals. And I was thinking about it afterwards because that's how therapy works. I'm like, I'm actually feeding my corals a lot of live phytoplankton when I scrape off the glass at least twice a week. And now just for for shits and googles, I'm like, oh yeah, let me do it three or four times a week just because I can, because now I'm recognizing more that that is live biofilm, diatom, phytoplankton for my corals coming freely from the glass and I don't have to buy something and pour it in. Yeah, I was gonna, regarding the paint scraper, um, it does not have rounded edges. And if you, if you go side to side by accident, you will gouge your glass. So, uh, I, and I, Fortunately, I I did that on the back glass because uh, <laughs> that's where I, I love to use it to, you know, I let the coralline build up on the back glass and then every once in a while I get motivated. But after it builds up, right, you need to go in there with some elbow grease. And so that's where paint scraper is great. But I did put a little scratch in. I was like, mm, maybe this is not something I should recommend to people because um, kudos to, you know, Tunzi and, and you know, um, al- the algae magnets. They all have that nice curve so that it's they a little know. more forgiving if you um, they know go the wrong way with it. <laughs> so, yeah, I know we, we, we focused this session of retherapy a little bit more on the equipment side of things, but I feel like a lot of the romantic spin that's being provided to the reef keeping audience is a promise of making things happen faster. 
mm-hmm. you are paying three to four X whatever cost in the tank, on the equipment, on the auto dosing, on the feeding, on the auto testing to make your stuff grow 20% faster at best. At best, you're paying such a huge premium because in your mind, you think your stuff is going to grow faster. And it doesn't matter if it grows faster because it's not worth that premium. You know, almost every single romantic marketing line is trying to express to you how your curls are going to grow faster and better, right? But if you just wait, you'll get there. You'll get to the finish line. You know, and I, I feel like I, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit into the livestock because, you know, everybody's hot for tenuouses and torches. And two years ago, a frag of tenuous or torch, let's just say buck fifty, right, for an average one of each each coral, LPS and SPS coral. And now you're looking a little bit more like, let's say, 50 to 75 bucks for a pallet of torch. And uh, the same price will get you a colony of tenuous. And if something's super duper hype, you know, Mark and I have doing, been doing this for a really long time. And we're not flexing. We're just like pragmatic. You know, I remember the first frag of, of watermelon alien eye challenge coral, you know, pink with green mouths and green eggs was four hundred dollars in two thousand one. That was crazy price for corals. I bought my first frag, like a nice, decently chunk sized chunk for like fifty bucks six years later. I just waited. Yeah. You know? And same thing with my Miami chalice, right? That was a thousand twelve hundred dollar frag coral it's neat but it was mostly hype i bought a small colony of it for like two hundred dollars ten years later i am here for the long haul you know um what's the other one oh krakatoa is oriented i'll never forget writing about that a single polyp sold again for like twelve hundred dollars that is all hype that is air jordans that is yeezy kicks that is supreme i waited 10 years and someone traded me a tile covered in them for a couple of random corals that i had extra you know so when it comes to like the super brand name corals yeah you're going to be paying a premium just like fashion but uh you know if if you just use your eyes and not your emotions you can get really awesome corals for very reasonable prices you know, the only reason people aren't hot for sunset acupora, uh, sorry, sunset nulipora is because no one is keeping it properly these days. No one is trying to keep that super nice golden colored monopora with those big flushy um, green polyps anymore, right? You can't give that away. You can't give away Langsai to the right person. You can't give away monopora undata to the right person. There is so much color and depth and detail to those corals. But if you're chasing the hype because you want to get the frag and get the responses on your thread on Facebook or your post on Reef to Reef or, you know, the picture you shared on Instagram, yeah, you're always going to lose, man. You're always going to lose. But if you use a little bit more uh, objective taste, there are so many colorful corals that are out at any given day that you could buy for a fraction of whatever the newest, latest hype coral is. Um, that is, oh my God, what do you think? I mean, isn't that like one of the easiest ways to save a lot of money in corals is not follow the hype. It's just buy some colorful stuff that people aren't paying attention to. Dude, forget reef keeping. It's like the most important life lesson 
ever, right, is that impressing others and keeping up with the Joneses is expensive and it's not worth it, right? That's like the, the, the most valuable thing you can like learn in terms of personal finance. And, and it applies in this case because we're trying to talk about saving money, but um, there's a freeing thing about it too of that when you choose not to do that, it's like you almost feel like you're in a secret cool club, right? Because you can see through the BS a bit. When you break um, the system, like you can hack yeah. the system and find these little, you know, side doors. But when you realize that the clothes that you find at Goodwill and Salvation Army have so much more character than what you could find at H&M or The Gap, you just feel like you've stepped into another universe. And I'm telling you, that exists for corals. It's that exists for corals, for sure. It's you know, just as fun to grow a tort than it is a purple monster, right? And it's funny, purple monster is the one... I've got two examples in my life where I waited for something to get cheaper. And one is the purple monster. I was like, ah, you know, wh- one of these days, everybody will have it and you'll get it for like 30 bucks. That never that's, happened. That's never um, happened. Nope. <laughs> the other one was when... Uh, uh, Frank was breeding resplendence in Hawaii. And I was like, oh, you know what? Pretty soon they're going to gonna mass thing. produce these things. This is a thing now. They're going to be like, you know, as cheap as a flame angel. Yeah, that never happened. Um, but those are exceptions, right? Those are edge cases. Most of the time, I remember being uh, on a wait list to get an orange cap, right? From Steve Chan. I remember having a picture of Sanjay's orange cap like a shitty inkjet printer, like, you know, <laughs> printout of Sanjay's orange cap, like just, you know, thumbtack to the wall. I'm like, oh my God, that is the best thing ever. Now, you know how much I give away? You know how much I throw away? Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you don't even want to know. But it's it's true. Like once you can kind of see through it or be above it and and start to just say you know what i'm gonna enjoy these more readily available equally colorful corals and i'm gonna build an awesome aquascape with them uh and again from the context of saving money everybody has a the problem with discussing saving money is that everyone comes from a different financial life or situation right for some people buying a $3,000 fish is like nothing, right? It's pocket change. It's how much they spend on wine at a dinner, right? A bottle of wine. So it's hard to, it's all relative, right? But if you're in it like, man, I really want to get into reef keeping, but it looks to be too expensive for something that I want to do. It does look that way, right? If you, if I was just starting from scratch, looking in, going to some groups and just chatting some people up about how much does the tank cost? How much does a little rock cost? How much does this, this, and this, and this cost? Like, holy crap, I'm looking at a five-figure price tag. I'm like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm running the other direction. I'm getting into reptiles or freshwater or houseplants. And it, it always has been like this because when I was a middle school kid and I would hang out at local fish stores while my mom was grocery shopping, and I would get my fish magazines, I was convinced that uh, on my measly allowance, I could not get a saltwater aquarium going because I was convinced that I needed a very high-tech wet dry filter and I needed a protein skimmer. And I couldn't afford either of those and there were no affordable options back then, right? Like this, I think the reason people talk about the um, skilter 
is was like that was sort of like the first like hey, through. that was like a protein skimmer a middle school kid could buy right it was yeah. a piece of crap but um, you could mow lawns for a couple months and you could afford a power filter combination protein skimmer yeah only to discover how terrible that protein skimmer was and you know it was an article that Julian wrote that he probably has already, for, you know, like he's written so many articles, he probably didn't even remember this, that he wrote in one of those annual magazines and it was just like how to set up a simple tank. And back then live rock was a thing, right? So he's like, buy some good quality live rock, put four normal output tubes on top, put a power filter on the back and boom, you have a aquarium with marine life. And I was like, and, and today we all keep nanos or we keep an all-in-one that doesn't have a skimmer and we've... But back then, when there was no internet, that article was like, oh, wait, I don't need that Dupla or that um, platinum uh, biofilter. dollar sump in 1990s dollars. With the spinning wheel, spinning spray bar. I don't, oh, I don't, but I was convinced by, by all the other articles. Yeah, that, that I needed all that, and I was like, "Well, I can't afford. I'll just, uh, I'll just do African cichlids because they're <laughs> and I'll do that was my that was my first like that was not my, my first aquarium, but my first like purposefully set up aquarium was yeah. African cichlids because it was kind of pitched to me as like saltwater fish without the salt. Yeah, you can even do the dead coral skeletons and everything with oh, them because yeah. they love Full the uh, the basic water, right? But. Um, but I feel like now it's not the magazines. It's obviously it's the YouTube and the social media and all that. And, but it's the same thing, right? Like you're you're going to walk in and think, okay, I like this one YouTube guy. He's kind of cool. I'm going to start following him. Oh, crap. I need an ozonizer. Oh, I need a CO2 scrubber. Oh, I need. And it's like, ooh, no, no, you don't, man. No. You'll, you'll, I want you to notice, the listeners will notice, we have not even talked about controllers. Like, I know you'd like to dabble because you're an IT guy and you understand a little bit more of what's happening behind the scenes. But I don't have a, my only controller is my tiny little controller box for my twin tech calcium reactor. It only controls is the flow speed, the water flow through, and the you know injection of carbon dioxide. But all these other kind of smart features, you know, they're cool to have on your house and they're cool to have maybe on your car and some other things. And unless you're like a commercial entity or professional goals like Than trying to farm stuff, we haven't even mentioned it, right? Oh, I've seen it written keep it simple you don't need a controller <laughs> you know so like I, I we just didn't get to it but i'm with you 100 percent on that 100 percent. that's another thing that they convince everybody that you need it's it's such a great spin you know and i'm not hating but like i have i have a few controllers brand new in the box and i look at them and i look at them and i'm like this is so much to to install for just a few things that I need, like a little bit of water level sensing, a little bit of pH temperature, um, set, you know, conductivity, I'm sorry, uh, ORP measurement, right? A dedicated device is just going to do it so, so much better. Um, but I feel like, you know, one of the other things we can go back to is patience, Right. There's so much that is being pushed on, on the average reefer and encourage them that everything's going to happen so much faster, so much better if they just buy this, if they just buy that. And, you know, we talked about like waiting on the, the reef to grow out. Um, we didn't touch really so much about the rock, 
But yeah, of course, every company would love for you to fill up your tank with only their rock. And I'm like the Lone Ranger here. I've been using lace rock at $1.30 a pound since, you know, for like 20 freaking years. And there's also nothing stopping you from using plain old cinder blocks. Cinder blocks will buffer your pH like like nobody's business to start, right? Because base rock, right? Well, who who's even having the conversation about base rock, mid rock, deco rock? We always talked about this, right? We had your base rock that was super cheap and dense and heavy, and that was let's just call it three ninety nine a pound, like historical prices, right? Then you had your shelf and your branch rock that was let's throw out six to seven ninety nine a pound, and that's what you use to kind of build up your structure on top of your base rock. And then you had your deco rock that was the prettiest stuff, really purple, lots of growth, maybe you know nine ninety nine to twelve ninety nine a pound to put on top of that. Right, but we're not even having those conversations anymore because you can use cinder blocks and straight up bricks and river stones to prop up whatever aquascape you're trying to put together. Yeah, you know, that used to be such a huge expense of a reef tank. Well, how did uh, just, how did fake rock become more expensive than what live rock used to cost? And I, I mean, I guess inflation, <laughs> there's inflation and all that that I'm not accounting for, but uh, man, yeah, but some of that. shipping rock from the other side of the world should cost more than anything that's just brewed in the tub in like, you know, Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, the outskirts of LA, I'm like, come on, y'all. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff and I've, you know, you see people almost buying art when they get these pre-made rockscapes for twelve to two thousand dollars, twelve hundred to two thousand dollars, like okay, you know, I understand what went into it and what's going to go into it to ship it somewhere, but dang, dude, I could set up three reef tanks for two thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, you know, and along those same lines, like you know, the auto testers are testing your water once a day, maybe a few times a day. I test everything by hand once a week. Whenever it was gone, I skipped a week. It, nothing changed. Nothing dramatically went out of of whack. You know, so just I'm not trying to say like you're cutting corners by testing only twice a month because you had tank of the month uh, testing only alkalinity maybe every month, right? And so there's just there's so much low hanging fruit for people to basically chop off easily 25 to 30 maybe up to 50 percent of the cost of having a reef tank i I was really driven home like how many options there are to cut the cost of having a nice reef tank without making too many compromises and i think that's the that's what people believe and in a lot of hobbies, right? You want to save uh, a lot of costs on a car, you're going to make some compromises on fuel efficiency, on durability, on customer service, on you know, the smoothness of the ride. But when it comes to reefing, oh my goodness, you can get a lot of extra mileage by without compromising what the tank ends up looking like. You know, a lesson that I've learned, had to not relearn, but I, I, I tend to relearn based on just unique situations that happen, like moving houses or uh, moving my tank from upstairs to the basement and then moving it back up. And, you know, the the, the one thing you run into is um, 
you you can't fit all the corals you had back into the exact same tank or you downsize tanks whatever and it, but even like moving a tank from one location to the other you try to put it all back together you're like oh none of this all fits and now i got extra rocks and extra corals and then i'll end up setting up like a 40 breeder and i'll throw the corals in there with a power filter in my basement and ignore it and do the bare minimum and i'm just like till i figure out oh do i sell those corals or do i take them to the fish drawer or, you know, I'll just leave this running for a while. I'm kind of busy. And then six months go by and you've got this high-tech reef tank and you've got this 40 breeder with a power filter and some old lights that, you know, are 10 years old lighting it up. And that 40 breeder looks spectacular. Yep. And it's always just a, it's always a reality check of like, well, then what the hell am I doing upstairs? <laughs> you know, <with> all this, <laughs> like this has happened to me so many times where it's like, oh, what do I do with these extra corals? I just, I'll just throw them in up there. Yeah, here, oh, I got power filter. Let me, yeah, okay. And then it's like, damn, that thing is falling. You leave them <laughs> for two weeks with just like the you know, last top to prevent evaporation. You look at it whenever you get a chance, you're just like, I didn't give you permission to look that good. Yeah. And it's so like, hard on this other reef tank. And you're just like, destroying worlds and expectations over here what is going on and that's the truth of freshwater saltwater and a lot of different hobbies sometimes like you can throw a lot of money at it you're not necessarily going to get a better result um and but i'm going through um uh evan's little list and i'm just going to kind of kind of kind of breeze through it here and he's got a, a few good points and you know if you're looking for livestock you know find your you know an lfs that you really like your local fish store and shop with them a little bit more frequently you know get to know them because you'd be surprised how often the 60 to 80 dollar frag becomes a 20 dollar frag you know gets a hookup we're not talking about stuff that they paid for we're talking about stuff that they just kind of grown out and they marked that market price and they're like oh here you go just just take this just take this spot um he mentions um, buying old acrylic tanks and polishing them. That's a little bit more involved, but that if you're looking for a really large tank, that's where the uh, monster freshwater fish groups will really come in handy. If you're, you know, because when someone wants to get rid of a 500 to a thousand gallon tank that's got a little bit of scratches acrylic, they're probably not looking to sell. They're probably looking to just get it out of their way. Um, he said, you know, also consider the actual requirements, you know, that's what we, we started with as far as like sizing things up properly. Um, the highest end gear available only run it at 50% and you'll get just a lot more mileage. Um, you know, consider buying something that's a little bit bigger. This is what I said earlier, running at 50%. Um, when it comes to treating for Aptasia, you know, I'm sorry, but like, I know there's a lot of products on the market that uh, will treat for Aptasia, nothing is better than like $3 of sodium hydroxide that will never use anything again. Just that it's just, that is the killer. It's just, you know, make it pH 13.9. The thing is dead, no matter how strong it is, no matter how regenerative, you know, make it super high pH. Um, also frag plugs. Frag plugs and tiles are super expensive, you know? Yeah. Dirt, God bless him. I love that guy. He's at a brief show, but he, you know, he has a lot of like different tiles that he has from like Ocean Wonders and stuff. And it's like a stack of 10 tiles for like $18. Meanwhile, we're over here buying like limestone and marble tiles that are four by four inches for like 10 cents a piece. And we can take those tiles and just kind of cut them or break them into the size that we need. And the funny part is they put 
like the more porous ones or the more irregular ones on discount, that the ones that look more like natural rock on discount. Yeah, th- those are super awesome. Um, float valve versus the electronic ATO. That's a an order magnitude of difference in performance and cost. Um, we have started using some old picture frames as glass lids for, for some of our smaller to medium sized tanks. That glass is super thin, and as long as you don't you know break it, it's not going to cut you. But you're talking about like three dollars for a picture frame versus twenty five, thirty, fifty dollars <laughs> for an actual aquarium lid. Um, he mentions uh, uh, keeping your aquarium, your equipment clean, right? We talked about maintenance. Yeah, before, maintenance. But if you keep important. your aquarium clean, then it's not going to break in the first place. So you don't have to replace it. So sometimes you buy the right piece of gear, but you don't keep it running so well. If you haven't cleaned it in a year, no matter what it is, I'm telling you, you need to clean it. Well, you know, there's been examples of people going, my skimmer sucks, I need to upgrade, but really the skimmer just needed to be cleaned. Just right. once. Just <laughs> once. And they'll probably work better than, than you than you did on day one because now it's broken in and you know how to dial it in. Um, he mentions, you know, breeder tanks as sumps. Um, sand. Sand can be an expensive part of setting up a reef tank. You can drop a few hundred dollars on sand. So he's not talking about the drawbacks of sand. He's just saying, like, you don't really need it. Just skip sand out of it later if you want. And there's a few hundred extra dollars in your pocket, right? A 30-pound bag of carob sea or aconite. I don't know what it goes for these days, like 30 to 50 bucks, right? You have a very large tank. You add several of those, there's a few hundred dollars of of um handicap you're adding to your reef growing experience. Um and he's got a, a really good point on uh <laughs> his last point is like if you really want to save the most money, just stick to fresh water. <laughs> and that's not the point that I want to end on, but that's like it's kind of a good point. If if saving money is your main prerogative just keep some freshwater stuff and keep some African cichlids, grow them up really nice. You'll do really well. But I think the don't you the hate more... when people say that to you about a hobby? It's like, oh, but that's so expensive. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I didn't get into it to make money or to 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 be, you know, I didn't say, you know what, you know what is a very smart way to like invest this two thousand dollars to buy a reef tank, right? Like, no, it, right. hobbies are something that give you joy in life and you're willing to throw money away at for joy, right? Um, so I don't know, maybe you can chime in on this, but maybe it's uh, if it's the parallel is um, if an electric guitar and amps and pedals are too expensive, just get an acoustic guitar. Does that yeah. translate, you think? Well, you know, so like we invested in a boat, uh, you know, uh, is it this year or was it last year? I don't know. And the, the thing that every boat owner hears is, oh, you know, the best uh, days of owning a boat, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. And, oh, they're just, they're muddy pits. And it's like, yeah, they are. But that's that's not why you buy it. Like, you buy it because, yes, it is a muddy pit, but they're really fun. <laughs> you know, like, they're, they're really fun to have. And it sucks to spend money sometimes and you're pissed that you have to repair something. But it's a hobby, you know? It's, it's. And if you fall on hard times, get rid of the reef tank, right? Get rid of the boat. Get rid of the guitars or the camera gear. Like, if you buy things for a sensible price, 
um, especially some of the mid-range stuff, you are going to recoup your investment like 75, 80%. If you buy super cheap stuff, you'd be lucky to get 10% back on it. You'd be lucky to give it away. If you buy really expensive stuff, I mean, some of the Tesla and AI and Ecotech stuff really holds its value for quite a long time. That's it's quite impressive. Um, but you know, his last point, I think that my last point is we, we focus a little bit more, a lot more on the equipment side of things. And we talked a little bit about coral prices, but quarantining your fish and buying proper fish. And oh yeah. Fish. I mean, I'm still replacing fish, man. I'm yeah. still replacing fish. I, a month ago I bought 10 Bangai Cardinals. It's about 250 bucks or 25 bucks a piece. I don't have any of them now. I put straight into a quarantine tank and try to quarantine them. And it was later on that I remembered that they all have a, a radio virus that just can't be treated. And if they come down with it for due to stress, there's nothing you can do because it's a virus. It's not a bacteria, right? Boom, there's 20, 250 bucks of credit because I, you know, I'm robbing corals. But fish is, an, is another one. Like you see, let's just say, I mean, this used to be, used to be the common argument, right? Like, okay, this, this flame angel is... Uh, $59.99. But I can buy this other Flame Angel for $29.99 on sale. Yeah, but maybe that, that $29.99 fish has been treated like a $30 fish and it's not super healthy and it's going to die in your tank or worse, it's going to infect the rest of your fish and then they're going to die. You're going to have to replace them. There well, that's that's the key to, made. to me. It's like when you argue like, oh my God, these quarantine fish vendors want three hundred dollars for a fish that I can buy on any other website for one fifty and you're like, yeah, but when that fish nukes your entire tank's fish population with velvet, that three hundred dollars sounds like a bargain. You know that stress is not worth it. You know, I mean I mean I'll I'll say there's a lot of daylight between a twenty dollar grandma that is just fresh that you could probably just throw into a 10 gallon tank for a week and just see what happens versus a $150 premium, you know, hyper quarantine grow grandma. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a reach. Yeah. But when you're talking about a $60 flame angel or $69 flame angel and a hundred dollar flame angel that's been quarantined and the company's got a return policy or like a DOA guarantee and um, you're going to add it to your tank with, uh, you know, some assurance that it's not you're going to introduce a lot of pests and parasites. I'm not even talking about the cost of replacement, but the cost of the stress of dealing with it. Oh man, if it's if it's a two x factor, definitely go for the quarantine fish. If it's a ten x factor, maybe it's time to set up a ten gallon quarantine tank so you can just you know, isolate that fish for, you know, seven, 10 days and see what happens. But there's a lot of money to be saved not buying the right fish one time. Yeah. And, I, you know, the way I look at it too is um, quarantining can be tricky. And, you know, there'll be plenty of people that'll chime in and say, well, I don't quarantine my fish because I end up, you know, like a lot, I end up losing a lot of fish in quarantine. And I, I do think there's some merit sometimes in that. I mean, I think it also depends like, well, okay, hold on. How big is your quarantine? How are you quarantining? Blah, blah, blah. But, but there's also the idea that I have where it's, um, I'll buy a hot fish and quarantine it because those are tough mofos, right? 
but then if it's like some delicate fish, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna let one of these vendors that like this is all they do. I'm gonna let them quarantine the more delicate fish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little bit like sometimes I'm willing to pay extra for a quarantine vendor for a fish I know is a pain in the ass to quarantine. Whereas if it's just a tough uh, flame hawk or uh, I think of other like really tough as males fish, but um, uh, you know a marine beta, I guess. But <laughs> um, damselfish, damsels, yeah. You know, you just stick them in there. Uh, you know, I I don't like playing with copper. I do, you know, I do. Uh, what is it? Uh, chloroquine CP. Yeah, um, which is pretty easy to, to to work with in my opinion. But you know, it's like I, I tend to also go that route right or if it's a big fish and i don't want to set up a big quarantine tank right like no you know what like you can quarantine a tank you know it'll be all right in a small tank for a little while but you know i i i feel better getting a large tank from a vendor than trying to keep one that like i don't have naso tanks but like like i'm not gonna put a naso in my 20 gallon quarantine tank right that's gonna pain in the butt for the fish and, and for me so well and I think we have thoroughly covered uh, not the alpha and omega, but a lot of the easiest ways for reef aquarists to consider different ways to save money on their reef tanks. And uh, I think it bears repeating, uh, subscribing and reading your favorite podcast. Reef therapy is free. And uh, two listens of this particular session is, uh, which is free to listen to, is going to save you a lot of money and hopefully, um, you know, introduce and inject a bunch of ideas that's going to make reefing a little bit easier, a little bit more affordable, and is going to um, just make the whole journey and the process more enjoyable, right? So, Mark, um, I I don't know if we're going to have another time to record another session next week because I'm going to be going to Bali, Indonesia. Maybe you can squeeze one more in before then. But uh, in the meantime, I want to thank everybody for joining us on Retherapy. Uh, anything else you want to say, uh, Mr. Mark? No, man. I'm. Uh, I got. I got some new reef toys in that I'm gonna go play with right now. So <laughs> uh, nothing too exciting. But uh, no, I think we. I think we did a fairly good job, and I. I think we tried to at least come at some of the more basic um, suggestions from a more creative or interesting angle too you know yeah that's what retherapy is all about i want to thank everybody for approaching me at uh, whatever aquarium event you happen to see me at and letting us know how retherapy has touched your life and uh, we'll catch you guys in another session very soon hey, everyone right. we'll have a good trip all right thank you